Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. Time and people are the most precious assets your company has on the road to success or failure. As leaders, it is our responsibility to protect the time of our team to ensure that projects are delivered on time. It is also our responsibility to put processes in place that ensure that the strongest people are in the right seat. So shouldn't we step up the interview process and have a purpose and save time for every person involved? Yet interviewing is the single point of failure in most every company. It's either too long, too short, has no clear direction, or it's riddled with booby traps that repel strong people from even engaging with your company. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and executives win-win the strongest hires. We do so by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Andrew Bartlow. He is the founder and managing partner of Series B Consulting. Andrew helps businesses articulate their people strategy and accelerate their growth while navigating rapid change. He also founded the People Leader Accelerator, which is a preeminent development program for startup HR leaders. Andrew has 25 years of human resource and talent management experience at organizations across a wide spectrum of sizes, maturity stages, and industries. He is the co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High Growth Organizations, and Andrew has worked with clients like Masterclass and others to help them overcome obstacles in a hyper-growth phase, which is what makes Andrew the perfect expert for today's topic. Andrew, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, Rick. Thanks a lot. Glad to be here. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you. So I'm excited because we're going to talk about one of my favorite things, which is time. We're going to try and solve the timing issue, and we're going to talk about why it's important to have your interview paced out at a timing pace that is actually going to attract people rather than repel them. Sound like a plan? Let's do it. I find that either people that rush too quickly into making a hire, so they might talk to somebody once or twice and then pull the trigger, or you get you see this quite often in large organizations where an interview process can take 10 weeks. What's the problem with those two scenarios? In one, you are hiring people that may not stick with your organization. You know, the hire fast, fire slow concept or the reverse, hire slow, fire fast. I'd suggest that there's a Goldilocks zone somewhere in the middle where you can be thoughtful and still move quickly. And then on the flip side, what happens when you take 10 weeks to interview somebody? Especially in today's market, they're not going to wait around. Such a competitive talent acquisition market that a lot of engineers are balancing four and five offers. And whether it's an engineer or a salesperson or a VP of marketing, you're competing for talent nowadays. And so you don't want to take one second longer than you have to. People are still under the mindset that maybe we're coming out of this pandemic and that people are out of work and they're not. People are open to looking at new opportunities right now, but they're certainly not jumping ship really quickly. They're taking their time to get to the right thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, especially if somebody is reevaluating their priorities, their life, their career coming out of such a life-changing event like the pandemic. People are making thoughtful choices 
And boy, they do have choices today, given all the companies that are competing for talent. So you want to be appealing. And again, you don't want to take any longer than you have to, to make that decision. And you don't want to take any longer from your team in coming to that conclusion around whether somebody is the right hire for you or not. No, you don't. What's the internal kind of organizational tax that companies are going to experience in either scenario, really? Any sort of selection process will absorb time from the candidate, but even more time usually from the team. So how many interviews are there from how many people absorbing how many hours and then the debriefs and then the talking about the candidates and could easily be 10 to 12 hours on the low end of team time invested per candidate. And boy, those organizations that have panel interviews and multiple callbacks and projects and you name it can be a huge tax, a huge bottleneck on an organization that's trying to ship product or sell product when you're taking your sweet time to figure out who's the right hire for your organization. I believe that the reason why companies take so long or they keep bringing people back is because they don't really extract the right data to make a decision. They're running off of bias. They're running off of however they feel about the person. And what ends up happening is they keep having to bring people back because they never really gathered any evidence to support whether or not to make a hire in the first place. Yes, and I'd say that there's often a problem even further upstream, and that is that a lot of organizations, especially high growth, early stage organizations, don't know what they're looking for. So they just start talking to people and try to figure it out along the way. They just know that they have some work that needs to be done. Yeah. You can bring that up even higher into the company doesn't really know their purpose or their North Star either, right? They don't have that figured out in which they can use that as a guiding principle to take them where they want to go. It's more about, hey, look, at we just need to get bodies in here. That's fair. The, what is the why of that organization? And then that would hopefully cascade into the what. What are we trying to accomplish? And, and then finally, the how. And the how helps you figure out who you need to hire. The why, the what, the how, then the who. So let's talk about timing. How much time should a company be investing right now in an interview process? Oh, boy. That's a tough call because I think it's individualized based off the type of role and the type of company. And is this an engineer at an unknown startup or is this a larger organization that has uh, you know, 100 active applicants for every role they're trying to fill? That's going to be different depending on the pacing of the person who's interviewing, right? Because if you take one minute longer, they took a job somewhere else. There's a way in which you can set it up, though, to prep the candidate and say, hey, look, at we take on average 10 business days to bring you from start to finish. Just keep us abreast of anything that happens within this time frame, and we'll make sure that we pace it out that way. I think 10 days, especially for a smaller startup, is definitely reasonable, and you're not going to lose people that way. That counts on your decision makers making time to do this and not being bottlenecked while they're trying to hire 40 jobs at the same time, that the founder needs to have a watermelon interview with every single finalist candidate that comes through. You have to have a process that allows you to drive that sort of throughput. Let's talk about that founder issue because I come across that a lot. It's been my experience that the founders want to be involved in the process because they don't really trust the people they have on board to make the right decision. So they want to give final approval. Yep. Our audience are mostly entrepreneurs. So how do we get them into the mindset of being able to trust their staff to make the right decision? One, it's hiring some key staff that you do trust to hire them in roles that you expect that they know something about what they need in that role. If the role is reporting to you, you should be the final decision maker. 
no doubt. If it's three levels below you, why is that department head not acting as the final decision maker? Just thinking about the space where that resides on the org chart can give you a pretty clear indication of you know, who should be making the final call. Hiring people that you trust in key leadership roles is big. You know, another simple but often underused tactic is writing out what you're looking for. Maybe that's the department head says, I need somebody to do these three things, and they're going to have these three skills or qualifications that help indicate whether they can do it or not. I've seen interview packets that are 30 pages long. Don't overdo it. But if you do some simple documentation around, here's what I'm looking for, and here's a signal of whether this person can do it or not, that can build the confidence of a founder or entrepreneur to let the team make the call against that criteria. Also, as a founder and entrepreneur, you need to take the time to actually establish an interview process. If you have an interview process and everybody has bought into it and they're conducting the interview the way in which you want them to conduct them, now we have a situation where you can back out of that process and you can trust that people will be making the right decisions. Yep, well said. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. For our podcast listeners, we're gonna take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find a link to order your copy of Healing Career Wounds, which is available now on Amazon and every other major bookstore. Let it be your secret weapon to winning the strongest hires. Our guest is Andrew Bartlow. He is the founder and managing partner of Series B Consulting. And we're talking about interview process timing. We just discussed a little bit about why it's important that you put something in place that keeps this timing sacred. But let's solve this problem for him, if you don't mind, Andrew. Let's get into what steps do we need to put in place in order for an organization to effectively not miss candidates, but also attract the right ones in by having a process that doesn't fully discourage them. Yeah, let's start with clearly identifying what are the roles that you want to fill. What's first? Where is it? What does a job do? Some people call that workforce planning. Call it whatever you want, but just be clear about what you're looking for. That's often the most missed step that then slows everything else down because you end up talking to lots of people and the interview teams burn lots of hours as they try to seek what they don't understand yet. That also goes hand in hand, though, with the fact that the interview team doesn't know that not only what they're interviewing for, but why they're interviewing, right? Or how to bring somebody through a process. So I, I would say those two things, lock your staff in a room for a day and figure out what's our process, how are we going to run it, what's the timing we want to have involved, and then figure out what the roles are. Take those roles to a point where you have measurables, performance metrics set in place so that you know how to evaluate and hold people accountable to the people who do take the role. That's often not done. It's usually, we need five years of this and four years of that. There's really no reason why they need that. Yeah, the years of experience are rarely the best indicator of success in the job. Although many jobs now are subjectively assessed. It's not an inside sales job where you have number of calls or number of clicks or conversion rate. Most jobs are done as a team, subjectively assessed results. So you can overcomplicate things. I'm hoping that one of the big takeaways from this conversation with the audience is be solid at the basics, be brilliant at the basics, know what you're looking for, the clearer you can get with what you're looking for. And maybe there's performance criteria, but don't go crazy trying to create some complicated performance criteria that ends up being something that is too complicated to actually measure. I don't think it has to be complicated at all. They can keep it simple. Two or three bullet points is really all you need, but it needs to be measurable. People say on the show before, it's when you join a class or go to school, they give you a syllabus. 
that basically says, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're responsible for each week. That doesn't happen in a job. It's kind of like, well, here's an idea of what we need you to do. Now go figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And by yeah. the way, we're going to judge you the whole time based on what we think that you should accomplish in the time frame in our mind, but it doesn't necessarily mesh with what a reasonable time frame would be. I think we agree on this point. What I'm drawing from is a lot of experience with a lot of different startups and high growth companies that go from zero process, total chaos, to way too much process, 30-page interview packages that the recruiter ends up creating that isn't tied to whatever the department actually needs. And it becomes this giant administrative bureaucratic exercise rather than something that's actually helpful. So that's what I'm pushing back on of there's some make sense work that's essential, but boy, don't overdo it. Keep it simple. There's no reason to put all kinds of crazy things in order. Like, for example, seven layers of testing and assessments. You don't need that, especially if you're a smaller company. Everybody's looking for that silver bullet in the hiring process. Like, what's the test that I can pay for out of the box that will tell me whether this person can do what I need them to or not? And in most cases, there just isn't one. And those are false leads for you. So testing may have a role in some giant well-established, mature organization, but I'm really skeptical of it. I'm a trained organizational psychologist. I know psychometrics. I've used most of these. I've been pitched by all of the companies and I blanket discourage use of testing for hiring purposes. It's a nice team builder, but boy, if you're making a selection decision, is that really a valuable and essential part of your process? I see it would probably be a great management tool, but to use it as criteria to hire people, it doesn't tie to anything. You might think that you need something, but it doesn't tie to anything that's important to the business. It's just more ego-driven, more so than anything else. It's people searching for that magical culture fit. Yeah. And if somebody has this type of archetypal personality, do we think that they'll be a good fit in a sales role versus an engineering role? And in reality, the only way to really assess for that is the performance on the job. And by the way, at most small, high growth, high change organizations, the role and the environment is evolving so rapidly that you can't really do an effective success profile to figure out what the ideal background or style or approach of that candidate might be. All right. What's the next step in this? I'd say as you start to source candidates, do that in a scalable way. If you're going to meetups, trying to do handshakes with potential candidates, you're going to have a really low efficiency metric on that. So expand the pool, do some basic employer branding on Glassdoor, LinkedIn, Indeed, get your career page up. You got to get beyond the who do you know, friends and family network pretty quickly if you're going to fill some jobs. That's third. And then rolling off of the friends and family network, hire a dedicated recruiter early. If you're hiring more than 10 or 12 people in a year, it's worth it to have a recruiter manage the process, help move things forward, and ensure that it's happening inside your organization. That's always a tricky one, though, because let's say you only have like six or seven roles. Is it worth actually hiring a dedicated recruiter? Because that's when most companies are outsourcing to agencies. And there's no secret that we're like attorneys. Nobody wants to work with an agency as much as they want to work with an attorney. It can, though, be done with a really good admin who essentially you can kind of set up to reach out to people. You can do sourcing with an office manager, with an administrative person. It's the screening that often requires. That ends up being a huge value 
saving your hiring managers and your panel and your decision makers time if you're able to do an effective screen, which means that person needs to know enough about the job, know enough about the company, know enough about the anticipated need from the candidate that they can have a, a healthy screen. And so not all office managers are set up to be successful at that. Some are. And then you just weigh that against what does it cost to get an external search firm to do it? And you can pay for a pretty good recruiter pretty quickly just by offsetting the cost of three or four search firm hires. That's true. There's some training that needs to go in there too as to being able to extract the right data to make sure that people align well with the organization. It's what you put into it as far as the training of the recruiter, giving them the tools that they need. You can't just expect somebody to come on and just do the work and be successful. Right. It's not somebody fresh out of school or totally off the street from an unrelated field. Like if this is your first and only recruiting support person, you probably want somebody that has a little bit of experience doing it. And again, the goal is that you're saving your team time by having fewer candidates reach the panel or reach the hiring manager that don't get an offer that should never be offered. So it's that screen that you save an enormous amount of time. That's the most valuable screening mechanism is to have somebody there before it gets to the interview process that's doing a discovery call or doing something that's really understanding who the human is before they get in for an interview. The goal of the screen, the recruiter screen, is to save time from the hiring manager. Now, the hiring manager is to figure out whether or not they want this person to work on their team and then save the panel time, assuming that there's a group of stakeholders, peers, internal customers, maybe the manager of the manager that gets the final blessing, that the manager should get to know this candidate pretty well via some sort of remote discussion, even before a live discussion. So that taking ownership as a hiring manager of the people that are candidates for your team, that's a big step and one that really can't be undervalued. I would definitely agree with you. And then the hiring manager saving the time for the people who are actually doing the work is highly valuable too. And I would even take it a step further and say, like, let's say you have one person conducting an interview, that person should be designed to save the time for the next person in the interview process too. If the person does not align well with the organization, let them go. Yeah. How that's often misused is a string of sequential Zoom meetings or interviews where you meet with the hiring manager and then, ah, oh, well, this person's okay, let's see what the team thinks. And then they set off into eight different one-on-one -on -one discussions with stakeholders and team members. And now you've burnt eight hours on somebody that the hiring manager wasn't really all that keen on to begin with. So the hiring manager screen needs to be pretty thick and be thoughtful about what that process looks like so you're not burning a ton of time from the broader group. That happens way too often. The fact of the matter is, is that you should get off the phone and think this is either hell yes or no. There's no maybes. Maybe means you're not extracting the right data. The one piece that I think is worth talking about there is work product samples where there will often be some step of, hey, do this project, or let's see a coding exercise, or sell me this pen, or whatever it is that you do to help figure out whether the person can actually do the job, right? Because the interview is an interview as you get to know the person and what they want and, and how they may fit into the team. But that work product sample is useful. And I'd suggest that you want to be really thoughtful about when you do that. Not every job needs a work product sample. But when you do it, it's probably the hiring manager that initiates it 
before a big group, before a candidate gets to the big group, and the hiring manager is evaluating it. And so it's got to be worth their time to look at a work product sample if they like that candidate enough to ask for it. That's one that I think is overused. What's the last step on this process? The team screen that we've referred to there, and teams often get stuck on consensus. So have some clear answer on how you make decisions coming out of a team screen. Not only should you 100%, it's either hell yes or no, but there should be some why behind it. We have to hire this person because da 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 da. And it can't just be, you know, I just didn't feel good about the person or I got a weird vibe or really liked him because they like baseball and I like baseball. Like these things should not be considered in the hiring decision at all. What would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into the business today? Have a streamlined but clear selection process. You want to fill jobs with high quality candidates. Here's the emphasis, using less time from your team. You've got a business to run, a product to build, a service to deliver. Don't let hiring become the bottleneck that prevents you from running your business. So have a make sense process. 100%. All right, Andrew, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which uh, members of the audience can find you, find your book? Best way to do that is connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm at Andrew Bartlow on LinkedIn, the, the only one out there that I'm aware of. My primary website is seriesbconsulting.com. Okay, perfect. All right, well, I want to thank our listening audience for tuning into this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. We welcome your feedback. After all, this show is for you because we want you to win the strongest hires. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at a Hire, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com, or you can drop me an email at rickatstridesearch.com. So tune in next Tuesday. Back by popular demand, I am actually doing a solo episode again. We're going to be discussing one of the topics which I've been getting a lot of requests for, which is how to really find people in this market. Because a lot of entrepreneurs that I'm talking to are saying, we can't find people. And then I'm talking to a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'm open to looking. So let's bridge the gap for you and let's help you land the strongest hires. I'm Rick Gerard, your host, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Gerard.